to express yourself where teens talk and the world listens presented by star style productions as an international outreach program of be the star you are charity you'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters meet and chat with cool celebrities exhilarating experts and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know it's time to kick off the fun with our star teens welcome to express yourself must be something that we value the most. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, creator and producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. Before we get into today's show, Be The Star You Are's volunteers and I want to urge you to check out our website at btsya.org. Go to the Events tab to find exciting events that we have coming up, and also visit us at expressyourselfteenradio.com to check out past editions of our show. On today's Express Yourself, we're focusing on the gift of farming and animals. So starting off in our first segment, we're reading a wonderful chapter about the joys and rewards of farming from our very own Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are founder and producer of Express Yourself. So Cynthia is an actress, coach, she's a best-selling author, and she's a vivid radio personality with expressive flair and experience with Mother Nature. Here's the gift of farming. With so many luscious fruits and vegetables at their peak of perfection in every season, the prospect of the perfect meal awaits. In summer, ripe, juicy nectarines, peaches, and Asian pears are devoured right off the tree, or drizzled with olive oil to be grilled on the barbecue. Tomatoes, peppers, corns, cucumber, zucchini, eggplant, blackberries, melons, and beans offer the promise of culinary creativity as we harvest yet another bushel. In the fall, pineapple, guava, grapes, walnuts, cherry moyas, chili peppers, collards, onions, sapote, squash, tomatillos, yams, and apples invite diners' delight. Winter highlights cruciferous vegetables, including broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, plenty of greens, beets, avocados, asparagus, mushrooms, oranges, lemons, tangelos, limes, kumquats, and of course, exotic persimmons, kiwis, and pomegranates. Spring is the most boisterous season of all, with yummy snap peas, mustard greens, turnips, carrots, okra, potatoes, radishes, celery, Swiss chard, kohlrabi, cherries, strawberries, raspberries, citrus, prunes, plums, figs, nasturtiums, apricots, and more. A variety of lettuces, arugula, spinach, kale, mints, and herbs are available throughout the year. Farmers markets tender the very best of the season from local growers and producers. But have you ever pondered the labor involved from the farmers behind the quality produce you discover at the farmers markets or in your local grocery aisle? 
Throughout my teen years, I worked in the fruit cutting sheds along with my two sisters, where we would have and pit apricots, peaches, and pears, laying them on wooden flats to be sun-dried, packaged, and sold. For years afterwards, I couldn't eat any of these three fruits because of the memories of the dirty, exhausting work in the hot summer sun. We were paid by the 50-pound lug of fruit to cut, with apricots earning us about 20 cents a box, containing two or hundred or more cots, quote-unquote. Peaches and pears paid half as much because they were bigger, and therefore less fruit was packed in a lug. Cutting peaches was the nastier job. The peach fuzz would stick to our skin as the juice ran from the peach pit into our armpits. When the gong rang at 4.30, indicating that our nine-hour shift was terminated, our itching bodies would dash home for a shower. If we had earned $20 for a full day's work, we were considered in the top 1% of farm employees. The next few months were spent picking grapes and walnuts, even encountering a rattlesnake in the vineyard or culling the green walnuts working at the drafty dehydrator barn from midnight to 9 a.m. was preferable to cutting peaches. (laughs) Although the work was tough, when I reminisce about those farm day experiences, I'm grateful for the manual labor of my youth. Whenever I purchase a fruit or vegetable that hasn't grown in my personal garden, I'm filled with appreciation for the toil of the farmers and laborers who have worked for several seasons to bring these crops to market. These hard-working people are the unsung heroes of our lives. My daddy was one of those men. Farming was a career that demanded attention 365 days a year. He could work for several months, only to have a complete crop, and his one annual paycheck devastated by rain or pests or drought. When he was asked why he didn't like to gamble, he'd retort that being a farmer meant that every day was a gambling day. He didn't have to go to the tables to wrestle with Lady Luck. From my time my siblings and I could toddle, we worked in the fields. As our age and abilities grew, we were given more and more responsibilities. By eight years of age, we all drove tractors, we plowed the vineyards, we picked fruit, and we worked the harvest. We always knew where our food came from because, as farmers, we planted, we weeded, watered, tilled, mowed, hauled, mulched, fertilized, pruned, sprayed, protected, harvested. And then we started the process all over again, prepping for the next season of crops. There have been surveys done around the world asking children to explain where their food came from. Responses in the United States include that cucumbers come wrapped in plastic, Eggs come from cartons, peas are found in the freezer, and chocolate milk is from brown cows. Recently, 27% of Australian kids in their final year of primary school believe that yogurt grew on trees, while 75% thought cotton socks came from animals. In England, a third of the country's children thought fish sticks came from pigs or chickens, tomatoes grew underground, potatoes grew on bushes, and cheese was raised on plants. More disturbing was the majority of children stating that everything originates in the supermarket. Unfortunately, adults don't fare much better in these surveys. The statistics reflect poorly on the intelligence of citizens in first world countries. We need to do better to educate our public about where our food is grown, about how long it takes to grow, and about the hazards that farmers face. Most millennials didn't grow up wanting to be farmers. America was an agrarian society until the early 1900s, but today we're a technology-focused country. 
As of the last census, only 1% of Americans are farmers. With the global population expected to exceed 9 billion by 2050, farmers will have to grow 60% more food to feed the masses. Who and where will these additional farmers come from? I commend the schools where gardening is a part of the curriculum. We can all become more appreciative of the growing cycles when we become more knowledgeable, and even more so when we become home farmers ourselves. We have a responsibility to involve our children in the growing process by giving them the opportunity to plant and to water and to tend to fruits and vegetables and herbs. Besides being a superb science lesson, children will develop an appreciation for farming and feel a sense of achievement and accomplishment. An added benefit is children enjoy eating what they grew. Thankfully, there has been a renaissance in learning the skills of canning as well as farming. Baking pies from scratch is becoming fashionable again. And as a child, putting up our fruits and vegetables for winter consumption was a fun family affair, one I passed on to my children and hope that one day they will pass the recipes on to their progeny. The next time you bite into a peach, fresh, dried, or canned, say a little prayer of thanks for the extraordinary efforts that went into its development. Farmers are the foundation of our civilization, and we need to honor and respect their art. It's time we get back to our roots. And there's an exercise coming with this chapter called Be an Urban Farmer. Here it goes. You don't have to own a farm to be a farmer. Whether you have a plot or a pot, anyone can plant and grow a few fruits, vegetables, and herbs. What do you like to eat? Make a list of your favorite produce. If you have a patio, porch, or balcony, Buy one or more containers, fill the containers with quality potting soil, and then plant seeds or small four-inch pots of the crops that you desire. If you only have a windowsill, you can still grow herbs, and depending on light sources, you might be able to even cultivate peppers or tomatillos. With a yard or a larger garden, the sky is the limit on what you can plant. For ideas on what to plant and other gardening tips and tricks, make sure you pick up an autographed copy of Growing with the Goddess Gardener, available from Cynthia's online bookstore at cynthiabryan.com online store. Each direct order will include heirloom seeds and a personalized card. 25% of the proceeds benefit the charity Be the Star You Are, and of course, express yourself. When you grow your own food, you'll be healthier and happier, and you'll increase your agrarian confidence. Be an artistic farmer and happy growing. We've got a wonderful quote. Let us never forget that the cultivation of the earth is the most important labor of man. When tillage begins, other arts follow. The farmers, therefore, are the founders of civilization. It's from Daniel Webster. That was a wonderful chapter. I think it's very important to really honor farming, as Cynthia said, and to keep it in our minds as everything starts to go towards where technology is in the modern era. Because humanity developed through farming. Uh, I'm sure everyone has heard of, or a lot of people have heard of the agricultural revolution or the um, kind of the, the farming revolution that happened way early in human history that established civilizations and allowed us to settle down as a species and start cultivating not only our crops, but our arts, our culture, our learning, education, 
All of that came from when we were able to establish ourselves, settle down, retire from a hunting-gathering nomadic uh, way of life, and become farmers. <laughs> so it's really important to, as Cynthia said, find our roots and come back to the core of what has allowed us to really blossom into the progressive uh, individuals and progressive species as a whole, I suppose, <laughs> that we are today. We, we definitely need to remember that our technological advances, our complex civilizations, our, all, the, all the crazy things that we've managed to achieve as, as humans, you know, those are really due to the fact that we were able to settle down and start farming because we created a surplus of food which meant that not everyone had to be a farmer. And now, because not everyone has to be a farmer, we're forgetting that we still need farmers, even if it's not every single one of us. We need to, you know, stay true to our human nature in the most rudimentary way. Anyway, those are some wonderful thoughts on farming. It was a great chapter by Cynthia, and it was lovely to really hear about all the vivid colors and, and descriptions of the different foods of each season, and to be reminded that we can all grow something in our own homes. We, can, we all have access to sunlight, which is, you know, one of the biggest and most important things we need to plant something. And from there, we can just, you know, the sky's the limit. <laughs> Anyway, audience, support more amazing segments like this one by donating to the Be The Star You Are 501c3 literacy charity that brings you this program. Also, Be The Star You Are's Operation Wildfire Disaster Relief Fund is going on right now. And we desperately need your donations to help us help those in distress by providing books and other resources. So help ship books to victims of natural disasters today by going to bethestarur.org, and you can even donate through PayPal Giving Fund with no additional fees. Make sure you help us out so we can help out people who really, really need that help. I'm Brigitte Gia, and you've been listening to The Gift of Farming on Express Yourself with Be The Star You Are. Make sure to watch BTSYA's fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash bethestarur.org. Pick up our newest anthology, Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, celebrating gifts of positive voices in a changing digital world at cynthiabryan.com slash online dash store. And also, make sure to stick around as we continue our show on the gift of farming and animals. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit expressyourselfteenradio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to Express Yourself, Teen Radio on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. I'm Brigitte Gia, and you're listening to The Gift of Farming and Animals. For this segment, we have Express Yourself reporter and longtime host Katie Chu with us as well. Hi, Katie. Hi, Brigitte. Happy to be here. Uh, excited to have you, you know, have you back. <laughs> so, audience, having Katie on is perfect for this week's theme because she works with animals on the regular. So, Katie, where do you work and how did you get started working with animals? Well, I decided around um, my senior year of high school, I thought, you know what, I really do like animals. Not for any particular reason, but I thought, I really like working with animals. And it, I I was actually doing a um, segment for the show, Express Yourself, and my segment's (laughs) about careers, so I ended up doing one about veterinarians, and the more I learned about it, the more I really kind of liked it, so I impromptly, kind of like unofficially decided, oh, I'll give it a try, you know, go towards the pre-vet path, Mm -hmm. and basically over my first year of college, I was kind of volunteering as a volunteer vet assistant at uh, various clinics for animal shelters. And that was one kind of experience because animal shelters are a little different from um, established like vet hospitals because often animal shelters have animals coming in that don't have owners or have gone through a lot recently or just have a lot of health problems and all sorts of things going on. But that was the majority of my first year of college. And now this summer, I kind of took a, a turn and started working with a lot of wildlife animals. So about three times a week, I intern at the Lindsay Wildlife Hospital here in California. And there I work about eight hours a day with all sorts of animals, ranging from baby songbirds to raptors and possums, squirrels and all that. Wow, that's pretty incredible. That's that's a wide range. And so <laughs> and so I, you know, I I've done a few things at an animal shelter, but there's mm-hmm. there's just dogs and cats, you know. It's it's right. a very sort of run of the mill thing. So I'm curious about about, you know, what you experienced in the animal shelter versus the wildlife center. Is there is there a difference in handling procedures? Do you have to go through something more intense, like a like a more intense training period to kind of you know gain access to raptors, songbirds, you know animals that we would normally not interact not, with? Right. I would definitely say with um, it's kind of a mix of things actually. Uh, there's. There are differences between the animal shelter and a regular vet hospital, which I've also been working at this summer, and those two with, like, the wildlife center. And that's just because an animal shelter is different in the sense that most of these, or a lot of these animals may not have owners, right? Mm -hmm. They're found kind of on the side of the road, or people have surrendered these animals. And the first animal shelter I worked at, Based, most of them, or most of the animals they took in, were ones that were just taken off the um, 
euthanasia list from a from another shelter Mm -hmm. so a lot of these animals were in poor condition no owners and in that sort of state so that was different in that that was kind of a MacGyver situation like the clinic was kind of running at the back of the building out of just a few rooms and we were running all over the place and that Mm -hmm. was different from like the actual or the larger vet hospital that I and I work with a couple of days a week now. And there, there's, they're kind of apprehensive about letting um, uncertified students or, you know, volunteers work with the animals to some extent because they have owners and there's insurance and other obstacles that come along the way. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah, so that has its own kind of obstacle. But mm-hmm. the Wildlife Center, like you were saying, these the obstacle here is different in that it could actually potentially be dangerous to the volunteers or the interns. And so, like you mentioned, we went through a couple raptor handling training classes and each week we would spend about an hour to learning about how to handle and treat certain animals. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty intense and pretty, Incredible. I commend your dedication for for going through all of this in order to really interact and get to know a lot of animals, especially ones that, you know, we don't really see in our everyday lives. Yeah. And so, you know, I wanted to ask about the the sort of pre-vet track that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of schools have a pre-med track, pre-dental track, and of course the pre-vet track. So what does that really really entail? You know, what what classes are you planning on taking? Do you have to have certain prerequisites for going to vet school? I would definitely say, um, like you mentioned, like the other path, like a pre-med path, there are a lot of prerequisites that you have to take. That being said, I know a lot of people who take completely or who are um, trying to get a or on the path of a differently, totally different major, but Mm -hmm. still trying to get the prerequisites for a um, pre-vet path. And I think that the pre-vet path is somewhat similar to like a pre-med path in the beginning, but you have to take your bio classes, chem classes, and that sort of thing. And then once you go a little past maybe your first or second year, there are definitely a lot of evolutionary bio Um, directed classes for example last semester I took an animal behavior class and going forward I plan on taking an evolution class um, animal physiology class and similar sort of classes but Mm -hmm. I as far as I know I think the prerequisites aren't heavy enough where you couldn't be a part of a different major or minor and not be able to take these classes Wow, that's really nice. That's that's you know you can you can kind of work towards the direction of becoming a a vet and you know be in any range of majors to right. still be included within <laughs> within this this track. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to ask as well. You know, a lot of people. You know, we all many of us love animals, of course. Yeah, <laughs> of course. yeah definitely. And so a, a lot of people, you know, will definitely look to adopt, uh, get a get a pet mm-hmm. dog or cat. So what do you think is is really different for you in that you would choose to, you know, make 
being a vet your career versus versus you know just just getting a pet and and you know having that one pet do you think do you think that you know maybe mm-hmm. I don't know tell me your thoughts <laughs> <laughs> no I totally understand what you mean for example like if I like dogs and cats what if I just got a dog or got a couple of dogs and a couple of cats after I graduated <laughs> or something along those lines I think um the difference in that is, I remember the biggest thing that they told us at the Wildlife Center is, number one, you don't want these animals to love you. These animals can absolutely never on any circumstance love you, and you cannot be affectionate toward them, because these are animals that we're trying to put back into wildlife. Once they're accustomed and to human beings, they're no longer able to be rehabil- rehabilitated. They have to go into some kind of a museum or some kind of educational outreach program that involves animals because they'll no longer try to run away if there's a car with people in it or something along those lines. A, a situation that could be potentially dangerous for them and they won't have those natural fear reactions anymore. So it's kind of, it's the idea that there are animal lovers and of course all types of vets, vet technicians, they all love animals, but they also are very involved and interested in the animal's health and state to the point where they will be willing to treat the animal without getting attached. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially working with wildlife, there has been, I have seen so many euthanasias. Like often, if an animal comes in, it's, it's like a 50% may live or may die. And Mm -hmm. sometimes if the animal just seems to be in a lot of pain or discomfort, then it has to be humanely euthanized. And decisions like that are, I think, one of the main differences between someone who is working for the health and and toward the medicinal and clinical side of working with animals versus loving them and giving them affection and um, living with them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I definitely see what you're saying is that you have to, you have to be willing to have to make these snap second decisions and consider everything but yourself almost when you're, when you're right. working with these animals. <laughs> and so Katie, what about you? So you've worked in all of these different kinds of places. You've mm-hmm. worked in an animal shelter, a veterinarian hospital, a with wildlife where do you think that you would personally be going if if you were to I don't know at this moment if you were to choose which one to go into where would you feel the most comfortable and why I think it's a pretty hard decision to make um right now I think I've I personally really do love working with the wildlife I honestly learn so many things every single day that I'm there because there are just so many unexpected situations that come through that door. Like one minute I'm working, I'm holding a baby songbird in my hand and the other moment someone's asking me to hold this hawk for them. And I'm like, oh, oh okay. all right, I'm there. You know, I'll hold this hawk. And I remember, yeah, it's just a lot of different things and so many different situations. Like we have ducklings that fell into a... Um, saltwater pool which can be pretty deadly for them and like us having to flush them out through um, flush out their system and kind of just 
working at a place like that would have so many opportunities to learn, like even as I think even the vets are learning consistently because what I remember one vet said very recently to me, it's kind of like a MacGyver situation. You have an animal come in with injuries that you haven't treated at all before. And it's kind of like, okay, what now? <laughs> what can I do <laughs> what to save this animal and keep it alive for at least the next 24 hours? Mm-hmm. Kind of um, challenging yourself consistently. But also, so I thought at the beginning of the beginning of the summer I thought oh while working at the wildlife center maybe I'll find myself being bored at the event hospital but that's also not the case because Mm -hmm. I think working at the vet hospital has a little more leeway with the whole you can give a dog some affection kind of thing (laughs) whereas you can't like when we're working with raptors a lot of times we have to wear camouflage outfits to make sure they don't imprint on us or Mm -hmm. and a very kind of distant relationship with the animals. Whereas at a vet hospital, you have, um, you often will have a regular patient or you'll see the same owners. And I think it creates a community, a lot warmer of a community than a wildlife rehab center might. So I'm still, (laughs) I'm still, you know, trying to figure it out. I also have, there are also a lot of types of animals that I haven't worked with yet. And I'm looking forward to kind of exploring that. Absolutely. I think that's that's pretty brilliant. And, you know, I hope that you'll be able to, I don't know, maybe do them yeah. all. <laughs> or, or, you know, <laughs> you'll, you'll find where, where you're best situated and everything should be all good. Well, you know, Katie, thank you so much for, you know, popping on and telling us all about these incredible adventures that you've had and, you know, essentially giving us, a, a picture of what it would be like to really care for animals in this sort of more veterinarian <laughs> uh, setting. Thank you so much for joining us. And Thank you. Yeah, it's been pretty incredible. I'm glad you're back. <laughs> well, audience, uh, that was this segment. I'm excited that you guys got to hear all of that. And I'm excited that Katie got to join us. <laughs> I'm Brigitte Gia. And I'm Katie Chu. Pick up a copy of our newest anthology, Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, celebrating gifts of positive voices in a changing digital world, which you can find on CynthiaBryan.com, Amazon, and other book retailers. Visit www.BeTheStarYouAre.org for more information about Express Yourself and Be the Star You Are. Keep listening to Express Yourself as we continue with the gift of farming and the animals. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit expressyourselfteenradio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thank you for staying with us here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our program is Express Yourself, giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. This week's show is all about farming and animals, and I'll be finishing it off by sharing some of my own experiences with animals in our final segment. So, for me, I've always loved animals, but it's been really hard to settle on one, I suppose, that I could love and nurture and take care of because my mother has always been afraid of animals. So she's been afraid of dogs for a very long time and afraid of cats uh, because of sort of just a, just a natural thing that settled into how she was raised and how she grew up. You know, it was, it was very hard for her to open up to animals and to to really for a long time be able to greet them normally, be able to you know, be in the same, be in their vicinity almost. And so for me, as a little kid and growing up, I I never had too much of, a, of an extended exposure to animals. I never got the chance to really work with them or have a pet or anything like that, other than maybe the occasional goldfish or, or we had a crayfish. I had a crayfish in third grade that I was really excited over. But nothing that you could pet, nothing, <laughs> no one that you could connect with uh, as you really can with uh, an animal that has almost human emotions like a dog or a cat. So I decided that that would all change when I was in my senior year of high school. So maybe just, just a couple of years ago, <laughs> I decided that finally I was old enough to volunteer at a shelter and that I would get out there and I would... I would go to my local animal shelter and get some experiences with cats and dogs that I would be able to carry throughout my life and, you know, whenever I was feeling lonely or anything like that. So I started out at the Humane Society in Berkeley, California. I, I went on their website, I checked out what resources they had for people who wanted to volunteer, and I decided that I would sign up. I really wanted to do this. I wanted to get started with with taking dogs out for walks and, and making sure that cats' cages were clean, I really wanted to interact with some animals. I started the animal training program. I went through how to take care of animals, how to read their behavior, and how to essentially play that role as a guardian of the animal without taking the dog or cat or whatever animal I was interacting with home with me uh, and you know, making, having a personal pet. So that was a really interesting process. I went through all of this training and I got to see the difference between being comfortable with the animal and having the animal be comfortable with me. So there were a lot of different signs, especially uh, for dogs. Um, I was training specifically to try and walk some dogs and get some dogs out of the kennels in the shelter and into human presences. <laughs> and so I was reading a lot about the types of behaviors that dogs display when they're threatened or when they're happy or when they're comfortable. 
just really how they act versus how I thought they act. And I really learned a lot about how animals express what they're feeling versus me just wanting to hug a dog as I came across it <laughs> with its owner in the street. So I learned a lot and I definitely think that was a really good experience because now whenever I see an animal who's maybe with its owner or it's, it's walking outside, I, I'm aware of its comfort level and not just my own comfort level with seeing a cute dog or, or a fluffy cat. So that was really exciting for me. I definitely got to learn a lot. And after going through all of this training and incorporating all this information into my brain, I, I definitely enjoyed spending a lot of time on shifts and walking dogs in and out. And I definitely have a lot of exciting stories from working with dogs. There were puppies in the shelter. They were very adorable. And every time we went in and out of their space, we would put on uh, little little cloth booties and those those sort of uh, lab garments that you that you put over all of your clothes. Uh, so we would make sure that puppies wouldn't get sick. Because a lot of these puppies were coming in without all their shots. They had to wait to get uh, shots and immunizations. And colds in shelters and in other places where a lot of animals are concentrated in one area, colds and different illnesses go around really, really quickly. So especially with the puppies whose immune systems hadn't developed yet, we really had to be careful. So we'd wear all of these equipment, we'd go in, and we'd socialize the puppies for maybe 15 to 30 minutes at a time, get them used to human presences so that, you know, when they were ready for adoption and when they had gotten all their shots and they were, they were ready to be out in the public eye, they were accustomed to human touch. They would be, they would be familiar with interacting with people. And one of the things I learned is that puppies like to bite. And one of the things you have to do as a volunteer for the Berkeley Humane Society or any animal shelter is to teach them to not bite the more inappropriate things like your fingers or your shoelaces. And it's really hard because they're really cute and you just, they're just sinking their little puppy teeth into everything and they're teething. But when they bite your finger, you do have to lay down some guidelines and you have to, you have to turn away from the puppy. You have to communicate that you're not comfortable with the puppy biting onto your hand. So that was very difficult for me because puppies are adorable. But I, for, for their greater good, I think, and for, for the purpose of habituating them to make sure that they would be safely adopted into, you know, their forever home, I went through with it and I carried all the training out, <laughs> to all the necessary training to make sure that these puppies would be safe and adoptable. So it was really exciting to do that. But I also got to help out outside of the animal shelter, which, you know, some people might ask, how would you do that? The animals are inside the shelter. <laughs> well, there's a lot of organization that comes into that comes with running such an establishment. Any animal shelter has to take inventory of all the supplies that it has to take care of its animals. It has to have sort of a vet care center operating within it to make sure that all of these animals that are maybe strays found off the street or they're, they're surrendered from homes that 
couldn't take them anymore. They have to make sure that these animals are healthy, that they're safe, that they don't have any sort of illness that would detract from their quality of life. So they have to have this little veterinarian hospital, essentially, operating within their borders. And they have to be able to house and all the dogs and the cats that come in. They have to make sure they have enough space. And they have to advertise the animals, essentially, in order to get them adopted. Because if you have a cute puppy, but nobody is seeing the cute puppy because it's in the kennel, nobody's going to adopt the puppy and it's not going to have a good home. So all of this stuff always takes a lot of volunteers to carry it out and to make sure that it all gets done. And over the course of time, I became one of those volunteers who, who would go to larger events in the Bay Area and uh, campaign, essentially, for funds to get kitten food to our kittens, because kitten food is very expensive, <laughs> is what I discovered. I would visit big parades. I went to the San Francisco Pride Parade uh, with a little pink bucket that said, please help our animals. <laughs> and, and people would put in little dollar bills and we'd get enough funding in order to buy kitten food for the kittens who would have sensitive stomachs and they had to have a special diet. So a lot of the administrative stuff in, in the animal shelter, I also got a good glimpse of. And I'm really thankful for that because you think of an animal shelter as just this physical spot for puppies and kittens to go before they get adopted into what you know as their forever homes, into, into a friendly family that, that takes them in and takes care of them. But a lot of people within the animal shelter are really working hard to make sure that in this limbo, those animals are really getting taken care of. And I think after seeing that, I'm, I'm really appreciative. And I really feel that animal shelters, you know, we give them less credit than they deserve because they do so, so much. But unfortunately for me personally, I had to leave the Berkeley the Humane Society because I was going off to college. So <laughs> I shifted over to Nashville for college. And, you know, after settling in for my freshman year and, and getting everything together, <laughs> making sure I, I knew which classes I was taking and I, I knew how to organize my time, I decided that over the summer I had enough free time be between shifts at the lab and things like that to make my way out to another humane society, another animal shelter here in Nashville. So it's called the Nashville Humane Society, and it's actually one of the oldest sort of nonprofit organizations that was established in Nashville. I think it was established sometime in the 1940s. So it's a well-established organization. It's, it's very well organized. And the interesting thing is it has a different atmosphere from the Berkeley Humane Society because in Berkeley, this shelter is taking a lot of the animals from, from other shelters that are overflowing, maybe off the euthanasia list, that sort of thing. It's taking these animals and making sure that for the time being, at least, they have a home before being adopted. So there were a lot less adoptions and there were a lot more more shifts where I was taking care of animals that weren't ready to be adopted yet, that were just getting back into the rhythm of things and getting getting used to human touch. At the Nashville Humane Association, 
Nashville, N-H-A, there we go. Um, it's, it's a very different story. Because the place is more established, because it's been around for a long, long time, and it's really big, it's kind of on, on the outskirts of Nashville, and it's this, it's this large center. It has a lot of resources to allocate to adoptions. And there are a lot of animals that come in, they're treated for shots, they're, they're healthy, they, everything is you know, cleaned up and we make sure that everything's okay. And these animals will go straight up for adoption and they'll be adopted into these wonderful families and they'll have a great life. <laughs> so a lot of my shifts as a volunteer at the Nashville Humane Association uh, are, are opportunities for me to talk to people who are interested in adopting right out there on the adoption floor. So there's a back section where animals who are just coming in are are kept to to make sure that everything's okay, that they have their shots, that they are taken care of, that they're cleaned up, that they're they're interacting all right with humans before they're brought onto the adoption floor where a lot of potential adopters are going around and visiting each of the animals, seeing if they would fit with their personal lifestyle. So for me as a volunteer, I'm out there on the adoption floor. I'm out there seeing these forever bonds be created in the moment. And although it's very different from what I did in Berkeley, it's also an amazing learning opportunity. And I really have a lot of fun with it. And this time, I'm also working a lot more with cats than I am with dogs. So it's it's a very interesting counterbalance. And it's, it's really cool to see how taking care of a cat and interacting with a cat uh, when you first see it and you, when you first get to know it is very different from interacting with a puppy <laughs> because, you know, at the core, they're different creatures, they have different behaviors, but, you know, they both want to love you and they both want to establish that connection and you want to make sure that they're comfortable with you. And so I've really enjoyed learning the process of what's been going on with cats. <laughs> and so... For me, though, it's very interesting because as much as I'm going back and forth and going to the National Humane Society and working there, I'm also in, in the lab at my current sort of full-time job, I'm working with animals every day. And in my lab, I'm working with mice. That's the big thing. <laughs> so every day I take out around 48 mice uh, and I run them on treadmills. And these animals are different from the dogs and cats that you're going to find at shelters because they are laboratory animals. And they're, they're being used in experiments. We are running them on treadmills. We are, you know, taking these animals and seeing what's going on with them in order to apply them to human patients. And so it's interesting because as I'm working with mice in the lab, I'm... I do hear a lot of backlash about animal testing and using animals in the laboratory. And while I think that for cosmetic purposes, it's a little rough to be using animal testing, and I think my personal stance is I'm against that, I think for medicinal purposes, it's, it's laboratory animals are something we need to be very grateful for and that we need to use sparingly but I think laboratory animals are necessary for medicinal purposes. A, a good example of this is that the lab next to mine, 
that I work in now, they were seeing a pattern between uh, immune treat, new immune therapy for cancer and increased rates of heart failure, of cardiovascular disease. So what they did was they generated a mouse with cardiovascular issues and they applied sort of immunotherapy to these mice and they saw what happened and they ended up discovering that new cancer immunotherapy treatments may be increasing risk for heart failure and cardiovascular disease in patients who are obese and in patients who already have a high risk factor for this. And they were able to discover that through the use of mouse models of animal testing for medicinal purposes. So I think that in that way, we really do need to appreciate our animals as much as we do as pets. You know, as much as we appreciate cats and dogs as pets, we have to appreciate animal models in order to make sure that our human patients are doing okay. And I think that's one big takeaway that I've gotten from working in a shelter and working in a lab at the same time, is that I'm very grateful for animals in two different ways. All right, with that, our show on farming and animals draws to a close. As always, we give our thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, be the star you are, and our Voice America empowerment crew, especially our voice engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world, and thank you to you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. I'm Rajitia, and you have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For information on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach programs, go to our main site at bethestarur.org. Cherish the natural world and the animals that we share it with. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. Produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines If you will let yourself